Abraham again took a wife, and her name was Keturah. And she bore him Zimran, Jakshan, Medan, Midian, Ishbak, and Shua. Jakshan begot Sheba and Dedan, and the sons of Dedan were Asherim, Lephushim, and Leamin. And the sons of Midian were Ephah, Ephur, Hanak, Abida, and Eldea. All these were the children of Keturah, and Abraham gave all that he had to Isaac. But Abraham gave gifts to the sons of the concubines which Abraham had. And while he was still living, he sent them eastward, away from Isaac his son, to the country of the east. This is the sum of the years of Abraham's life which he lived, 175 years. Then Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man and full of years, and was gathered to his people. And his sons Isaac and Ishmael buried him in the cave of Machpelah, which is before Mamre, in the field of Ephron, the son of Zohar, the Hittite, the field which Abraham purchased from the sons of Heth. There Abraham was buried, and Sarah his wife. And it came to pass, after the death of Abraham, that God blessed his son Isaac. And Isaac dwelt at Beer Lahairoi. Pastor, what in the world does that have to do with the gospel? How am I going to feed on that? Well, Paul wrote to his disciple Timothy in his second letter. He said, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God, the person of God, the woman of God, may be adequate, complete, equipped for every good work. So it's all good, and sometimes it's the framework for the good. Who's seen a beautiful picture before? Who's seen a beautiful picture beautifully framed? This is a beautiful frame for the gospel. So today we're just going to look at this framework right quick and then bounce over to Hebrews chapter 11. Abraham was married to Sarah for years. They had a miracle child in their very old age. And he again took a wife, and her name was Keturah. A lot of people don't know this, but Abraham had six more sons, giving him a total of eight. She bore him Zimran, Jokshan, Medan, Midian, Ishbak, and Shua. I looked up their meanings. It's not really good. One of them is kind of a musical name. Jokshan begot Sheba and Dedan. So those would be two grandsons, right? And the sons of Dedan were Asherim, Latushim, and Lumim. Those would be three great-grandsons. And the sons of Midian, that was a son, were Ephah, Epher, Hanak, Abida, and Aldai. All these were the children of Keturah. So from Keturah, Abraham got six sons, seven grandkids, and three great-grands. Abraham gave all that he had to Isaac. He's preparing to leave this world finally. But he gave gifts to the sons of the concubines. Who were they? Hagar and Keturah. So sons were given gifts, but Isaac got everything. 
And while he was still living, he sent them eastward, away from Isaac, his son, to the country of the east. The promises he had received of a land and of a blessing to the world was going to come through Sarah, through his son Isaac. And he sent his other children away. If you check out the boundaries of their habitation, they're in the full promise that was given to Abraham. This is the sum of Abraham's life which he lived. 175 years. Old. Can we say old? Then Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age. You reckon? An old man full of years and was gathered to his people. That's an expression of going into the future where your kinfolks are waiting on you. And his sons, Isaac and Ishmael, Ishmael was his firstborn son. Isaac was his promised son. They buried him in the cave of Machpelah, which is before Mamre in the field of Ephron, the son of Zohar, the Hittite. The field which Abraham purchased from the sons of Heth, there Abraham was buried and Sarah his wife. So God had promised him all this land and he didn't own any of it. It was actually a promise to his descendants. But he was given a foresight of what would happen to him. So his possession of the land required a purchase. Top dollar for a gravesite, a cave and a field. And it's there to this day. Here it is. It's called the Tomb of the Patriarchs. The Muslims call it the Mosque of Abraham. And they both claim this as theirs because Abraham is the forefather of the children of Israel and the forefather of the children of Ishmael. And so this is a tourist site. If you go to Israel, go there and see this amazing place. Next verse, verse 11. And it came to pass after the death of Abraham that God blessed his son Isaac, and Isaac dwelt at Beer Lahairoi. Remember, that's where God was revealed as the God who sees. Hagar, in her dismay, felt ran off by Sarah and had an angelic encounter at this place. And the Lord encouraged her through his angel to go back home. And she called the name of that place, the name of the Lord who spoke to her, you are the God who sees. For she said, I also hear, see him who sees me. It was a place of water. It was a place of blessing. And Isaac, in the wake of his father's departure, knew that God saw him. He was married, but still no child from him. Like, God, where's this promise going to take place? If God said it, you can take it to the bank. We don't determine the timing. If you hear a prophet giving dates and mates, be careful. Because dates come and dates go. And so Abraham was never given dates. He was given this promise. Of, he was given a date. He said, your children will be enslaved for 400 years. That wasn't an exciting word, but it did come to pass. All right, let's go to Hebrews chapter 11. And while you're turning there, let me just read something I wrote. It says, after Sarah's death and Isaac's marriage to Rebekah, Abraham continued living by faith for another 35 years. And he married Keturah, resulting in six more children, who gave him seven grandchildren and three greats before he died at 175. 
If we were to write an obituary for Abraham, Genesis 25 would be a great help for information along with these words from Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to look at verse 8 through 16. It says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he dwelt in the land of promise, as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. Now Jacob wasn't born, but Jacob was in Isaac's loins. So he's considered part of redemptive history before Abraham died. Verse 10, For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. He understood dual citizenship. We are citizens of earth, are we not? But we have a world to come that we look forward to. He died and was gathered to his people. So there's a world to come we're looking for. So while he was waiting on the fulfillment of God's promise in his life, he was waiting for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Keep that in mind. There's a parallel between Abraham and us. We have earthly promises that we contend for here on earth, but we have the ultimate promise that lasts for eternity. Sarah likewise, by faith, Sarah herself, verse 11, also received strength to conceive seed. And she bore a child when she was past the age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born as many as the stars of the sky and multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. A race of people came through them. And you don't just count their numbers in our day, you count their numbers throughout history. You have to add six million to their numbers. Happened during World War II, remember those days. All right, verse 13. These all died in faith. This chapter is talking about the patriarchs of faith, the heroes, Noah and Abel. These all died in faith, not having received the promises that is, the earthly promises. But having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Verse 14, for those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland, the ultimate promise. And truly, if they have called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. They kept thinking about where they come from. They might have been tempted to go back. But, verse 16, now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that your word would come to life in us. Lord, as we contend to walk in the fulfillment of your promises to us as a church, as individuals, as citizens of your kingdom. Lord, we also look forward to the day to come, and we celebrate it when we have a homegoing, a memorial service for someone that has passed over the other side, someone that's been gathered to their people. Lord, we pray in the name of Jesus that this word would take root in our hearts and we would live life in light 
of our heavenly citizenship. Amen. I'd like to speak to you today on the subject, earthly living in light of heaven. You know, you can be so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. But you can be so earthly minded, when you get that way, you're vulnerable to being discouraged. Things don't always go our way. Can I get an amen? We are called to obey by faith. Hebrews 11.8, we open with this when we turn to that chapter. By faith, Abraham obeyed. So we obey by faith. Faith without works is dead. Faith without obedience isn't really faith. If you believe and have faith in the laws of the state of Texas, you will not intentionally break speed limits and run stop signs and drive the wrong way down streets because you believe in the laws of the state of Texas as well as the laws of physics. Right? Two cars coming towards each other. When he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance, so by faith he obeyed God and left his kinfolk and went to a land where he had never been, not knowing where he was going. And he went out not knowing where he was going. We are called to live by God's promises, to live in God's promises, with God's promises, according to God's promises. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country. He put his feet where his belief was. He didn't just talk the talk, but he walked the walk. Wherever he put his foot, it was promised to him. According to God's promise, it affected his walking, his living. And we are called to include our children in this. Anytime God gives you a promise, it affects generations to come. It just does. God is a God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Manasseh, just take your pick. God's the God of you and your children and your grandchildren. So we pursue God when we are in a congregation in pursuit of God's purpose for his people on the earth. We include our children. That's why we have children's ministry. Some churches don't because they don't have the manpower. But some churches don't because they have a theology against it. How dumb can you get and still breathe? Right, children are to be discipled by their parents, but the church should help reinforce that. Help, amen? Especially when your kids get to be teenagers and they think you're a moron. It's nice to have other people they respect to help your counsel go in deep in their hearts. We're called to a heavenly city also. He waited for a city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. So we're called to obey by faith. We're called to live by God's promises. We're called to include our children in this kind of living. And we're called to a heavenly city also like Abraham was. Hebrews eleven sixteen says, But now they, that is the heroes of faith, desire a better country, that is a heavenly country. Wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he prepared for them a city. There's this dual purpose. And we live now in light of the not yet. We're earthly people. We don't go in caves and wait on the return of the Lord and, you know, get guns and protect ourselves. Well, we're here to be an influence in the earth. 
but we have hope of a better day to come. Amen? This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me at heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. We're ambassadors here. We don't just live, you know, saying, come, Lord Jesus, please, please come and not be effective here on earth. We're here to be a witness. Can I get an amen? amen. Okay, 2 Corinthians 4 and 5 are two powerful chapters for our earthly living. Chapter 4, verse 16, it says, even though our outward man, that's our, our bodies, our physical bodies, is perishing, who's getting older, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, that's the aging process, which is but for a moment, in light of eternity, our earthly lives aren't that long, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. In other words, we don't stare at the temporary and get depressed, but we live in light of heaven and we live in light of that which we can't see yet, in light of the invisible. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So in the seen realm, we don't see everything. You're limited by time and space. It's like a little boy looking at a parade through a wooden fence. And there's one hole he can see through, and he's describing, okay, I see a clown. Oh, look, there's someone passing out water. He doesn't see the whole thing, whereas the eternal perspective, we see the end from the beginning. Christ is the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. I looked at the end of the book, and we win. Begins with him and ends with him. And we have a part to play in redemptive history. We are called to look ahead to better days. Sometimes we get discouraged and live as though this is all there is. Well, my life is just no good. I'm just discouraged. No, this is just part of your life. This is that part that's going to make your biography be worthy of being turned into a movie. If everything goes your way and there's never any conflict, who wants to watch a movie like that? For one, it won't encourage anybody. For two, it'll be a sleeper. The next verse, which is in chapter 5, says, For we know that if our earthly house, this body, this tent is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. So we have a physical body, but one day we're going to have a spiritual body. Amen? I'm convinced that physical healing is such a blessing, but it's really just a taste of that which is to come. And I think some people who feel like they lost their healing, they had it, and I lost it, I did something wrong, maybe they never lost it. Maybe they just tasted the age to come. We could debate that one. We're called to groan with desire and not depression. You ever see a child reaching for the cookie? Uh, uh, groaning with desire. You ever see an adult just groaning with depression? Oh, woe is me, I'm going to eat worms and die. For in this we groan, verse 2, for in this we groan, 
earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. We earnestly, the older you get, the more the groaning goes on, desiring that better body. Verse 4, for we who are in this tent groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. So we're groaning, we're reaching, we're stretching for the future and not under the burden of the present. We are called to know God prepared us for this. This is something we're to know. If we don't know it, we need to study it. God himself has prepared us for this and given us his Holy Spirit. This is the next verse, verse 5, as a guarantee. This is why you need to receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit brings you the assurance you need to know that a better day is coming, to know that your body is going to be replaced. Your spirit's been reborn. Your mind is being renewed. And one day your body's going to be replaced. Somebody say, yes. Still in chapter 5, we are called to be confident about our absence. Confident about our absence. We're absent right now, but we're present in this room. We're absent from the Lord's presence at the dimension we're going to be while we're present here in this earthly realm. Look at this verse, verse 6. So we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. So I'm at home, I make myself at home. We tell people that visit our church, make yourself at home, stand if you can. If you want to sit down, you have that freedom. But focus on the Lord with us. But one day... We're going to be absent from this body and present with the Lord. So if you attend a funeral, there may be a, a casket up front or ashes up front or somewhere. That's not the person. That was their earth suit, but they're absent now. They're present with the Lord. Remember your school days? Is Billy Bob here? Present. Susie Q here? She's absent. So in heaven right now, we're absent, but on earth, we're present. Be assured of that. You are not going to just disappear. When you die, it's not all over. It's, you have received eternal life. Jesus said, he who believes in me, ladies, she who believes in me, who, how many believers in here? You believe in Jesus, shall have eternal life. He said, they shall never die. He didn't say their bodies will never die. They will never die. You are not your body. You just live in your body. And there can be conflict between you and your body. Did you know that? Your body wants to eat, but you're wanting to pray. Your body wants to sleep, and you are wanting to read your Bible. See the conflict? That's the heavenly you at war with the earthly you. We are called to walk by faith, not by sight. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We're not moved by what we see. What we, we're not in denial of what we see. You know, we're not like the guy that wanted to be healed of a cold and ran around saying, I don't have a cold. Well, he had a cold, but he's not going to allow it to dominate his life and just go into depression over it. We walk by faith, not by sight. We're called to be pleased with our future. 
You can sing about heaven and be excited about it. Just don't do it all the time like the churches I grew up in. All we had was heaven. We're confident, yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. So when someone dies, it's sad for us, but it's glad for them, right? In 1893, a Sunday school teacher slash choir director named James Milton Black in Pennsylvania was teaching Sunday school one day and a girl he had invited to come to Sunday school who had become a regular was named Bessie. She was 14 and she wasn't there. She had pneumonia. When he was calling roll, she didn't say present because she was absent. And when he was done calling roll, he says, you know, we really want to be present when roll is called up yonder. He couldn't get the thought out of his mind. He was also a choir director. When he went home, he searched the hymnals that he had and couldn't find any songs about that. So in 15 minutes, he wrote this song, When the Roll is Called Up Yonder. It's a special song in our family because growing up, my mother wanted to teach us how to play the piano, play the keyboard. She had an accordion. Us boys were not allowed to touch the accordion. My sister was. But we also had a pump organ in our house. And you play it. So it gives you a workout. And she put numbers on the keys. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. So it was do, re, mi, fa, sol, la, ti, do. But one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. And so when the roll is called up yonder, it was one, two, three, 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 four, five, two, four, five. Anyway, we <laughs> laugh about that to this day. When we were missionaries in Africa, my sister played the accordion, looking at the numbers on TV. It says, the trumpet of the Lord shall sound, and time shall be no more, and the morning breaks eternal, bright, and fair, when the saved of earth shall gather over on the other shore, and the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. The chorus is, when the roll is called up yonder. When the roll is called up yonder, when the roll is called up yonder, when the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. On that bright and cloudless morning when the dead in Christ shall rise and the glory of his resurrection share, when his chosen ones shall gather to their home beyond the skies, when the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. Let us labor for the master from the dawn till setting sun. Let us talk of all his wondrous love and care. That's our earthly living. Then when all of life is over and our work on earth is done and the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. After World War II, there was scheduled a big meeting between Winston Churchill, President Roosevelt, and Stalin. And he was interviewed by the press and ask, what's the meeting going to be about? I don't know. Don't you know? He says, I don't know. But what I do know is when the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. <laughs> and it's it silence then. Their jaws dropped. <laughs> I think sometimes the pendulum swings too far away from songs about heaven. We sing about them all the time. Maybe we don't sing about them enough. My final point is we are called to please the Lord, 
not ourselves. This is heavenly living. It's all about him. Therefore, our text in 2 Corinthians 5 concludes, therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. So in light of heaven, there is also a day of judgment. This is a sobering thought. We've shared the happy thought, better bodies, eternal life without any death or sorrow, no more tears, all that stuff. But there's also a day of accountability where we have to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Now some say he's doing that right now. We're appearing before him right now, but it's not exactly what this text says. You have to build a case by doing the hopscotch thing, running around grabbing different verses. We're going to stand before the Lord and give account for our earthly life. So let's make every day count while knowing there's a reward coming. That bringing peace to our heart. There's anything in your life that's not aligned up with his will, but it lines up with the culture. Who needs to trump who? His will needs to trump our culture, right? So what in your life is not pleasing to him, that's part of the calling in our life, to live a life that is pleasing to him. May not be pleasing to ourselves. We're called to die to self. I'm not Lord of my life anymore. He is supposed to be, right? Making Jesus the Lord of your life isn't a one-time thing. You pray the prayer, I made Jesus Lord of my life. Jesus is Lord. And, it, you know, there, there's lots of rebellion in our life according to his will. He's not Lord. If he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. So I don't want to overwhelm you, but let's just bow our heads right now. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would deal with us. What part of our life do we know that is not your will? And if there's nothing we know of, reveal to us, Lord, where we need to submit to what you want us to do here on earth so that we can stand before you with confidence and joy when that day comes. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Pastor, I've just heard so much information from you today. I'm feeling kind of overwhelmed. Is there just kind of like one thing, one thing that you can, you know, focus us on, that you can leave us with? I'm glad you asked that. The power of one thing is very important. You know, one thing penetrates better than a lot of things, right? You can lay on a bed of nails. I don't want to, but I've seen people do it. But nobody can lay on one nail. So here's the one nail for the day. It comes from Paul's writings, once again, in Colossians 3, verse 2. We're told to set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth. Where are your affections? Where are, where are our values? Where is my uh, focus? Is it in light of heaven? This is why worship is so important, because it is a time of setting our affections on things above. As the praise team comes forward, let's set our affections on things above and conclude the service by worshiping the Lord.
I don't want anybody to leave here feeling overwhelmed. God wants me to do too, too much. I can't do any of it. Sure you can. You can't do it. But as you worship, he gives you the strength to do that next thing that he's telling you to do. What has God put his finger on in your life that he wants you to do? What's that one thing? Well, is there something else? No, he, his, he has one plan for your life. He'll give you this something else after you do this thing, right? So let's set our affections on things above and receive the power to live on earth as it is in heaven. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in my life and on earth as it is being done in heaven. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Being loved.
How many partakers of the amazing grace are in the house today? If you've not partaken of His grace, you can do it today. It's found in His name. The name of Jesus means Jehovah or Yahweh saves. In Hebrew, it's Yeshua. He saves. Whoever calls on His name can taste that grace. The Scriptures say in Romans 10, the Word is near you. The Word of faith is near you. In your mouth and in your heart. If you'll confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, call on Him, and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you'll be saved. Can we do that right now? Let's all do it and join with us. God in heaven, I ask you to save me today. Make me a partaker of your grace. Jesus, I call on your name. I confess you with my mouth. And I believe in you with my heart that God has raised you from the dead. That's how our sins are paid for. By the death of Jesus. He paid our fine. He took our penalty and carried them to the grave and left them behind and rose from the dead as our high priest and Savior and Lord. You've prayed that prayer with all your heart. Turn to someone and say, hey, I, I prayed that prayer so they can pray with you some more. And the first thing he asks you to do as a believer is to be baptized. So talk to us about that. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace that only he can give. Amen. The world can't give it to us and the world can't take it away. Amen. God bless you. Go get him, Tigers. Thank you so much. My chains are gone. I've been set free.